Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN, Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? You're trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. Uh, you could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> good morning, good evening, good night. Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel listeners on the NBN. I'm here with my friend and business partner, Kima Fontakidis, and our guest, James Green, who, amongst other things, is the founder of DQ Ventures or co-founder of DQ Ventures. And rather than try to introduce you based on our past conversation and your LinkedIn profile and website, James, would you like to do us the honor to introduce yourself in a minute or two in the way you would to someone for some, who, for some remarkable reason, has never heard of you? <laughs> There's a lot of people who've never heard of me, thankfully. Sure. Um, so I'm James Green. I am uh, a co-founder of DQ Ventures, which helps uh, experienced professionals to launch a company. Uh, so there's a lot of people out there who are willing to take the crazy leap into entrepreneurship. But um, our theory is that if you have a mortgage, uh, kids in school, lots of things to pay for, then that's not necessarily a, a wise thing to do, especially if you're maybe slightly later in life where you can't really afford to fail. So we built a business to help people like that start companies. Mm -hmm. And what about the other stuff? What did you do before then? You know, your background, you sound British, but you're in Sweden, right? Yeah, I'm British. I'm from Northampton in the Midlands. Um, but I fairly swiftly left there, like a lot of sensible people in Northampton. And um, I ended up in London, met my now wife, and we moved to Singapore. And I lived and worked in Singapore, started a couple of businesses there. Um, COVID hit and moved back to closer to family and friends. And we were choosing between the UK and Sweden. And fortunately, Sweden won the day. So I have, I have two children who are half British, half Swedish. They'd never really been Swedes. They'd been... They'd only been expats, actually, but speak English-speaking expats. So we wanted to bring them here. And Sweden's actually just been named as the number one place to, to live in terms of quality of life. So I think we made the right decision. That's uh, impressive. And uh, is um, I'm curious about bringing up Swedish. You said they're British, but they've got Swedish passports as well. Do you think they're going to identify as Swedes when they're older, or are you, are you in the international schools and sort of cut off from Swedish? No, no. no I mean, there are international schools here, but but uh, where I grew up, it was, there was a fairly clear choice between local schools and, if you could afford it, public schools. In Sweden, everybody goes to the local school. Uh, I think you would be seen as as not normal if you went to a public school certainly i think there's only one public school from what i know uh, where the royal family tends to go but um I, there aren't a huge number of international schools and we certainly wanted our children to grow up as swedes um and actually the same was true in singapore part, part of the reason we left was as as foreigners and not permanent residents we were destined, our children were destined for international schools. Uh, and we didn't really want that for our children. I know many people do, but um, that was part of the reason why, why we decided to move. Mm -hmm. It's a great school okay. system here. I love it. It's, uh, it's amazing. And one of the best things is, is both partners can work 
which in the UK, I know many of my friends find that difficult because of the cost of childcare. Whereas here, even though school finishes at two, our children can stay until five. All their friends are still there. They're, they're still looked after by the, by many of the same people. So I can, uh, I'm, I'm the drop off and pick up parents. Uh, so I can drop them at quarter past eight and pick them up at half past four. Still do, do pretty much a full day, which is great. That's awesome. So uh, can you talk a little bit about your, the, the business? Um, I'm trying to, the way you described it is, and I can't remember, Richard, maybe you can help me. What's the word? What's the, what's that uh, acquisition by, is it, is it any different? Entrepreneurship through acquisition. Yeah. Entrepreneurship through acquisition. Is this sort of, are you enabling it's it sounds a bit like that, right? That you're helping somebody that has the experience. Uh, do they do you maybe help them find the business? And 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 or how did that make? Is it is it a matchmaking thing? How does it actually? Maybe you can talk a little bit about it. Actually, no, no, it's it's, it's more manual than that. We're, we're not a platform. Uh, we're, right. we're we're nothing to do with entrepreneurship through acquisition. Even though I have just read about that in in one of my popular newsletters that I that I read. So I've never okay. heard of it until Richard mentioned it. Okay. Um, but um, we, so so we basically we support people who've got a great idea, who who are passionate about doing something specific, and and they don't know how to go about doing that. Probably because they've never run a company, or they've been in, in the corporate world for their entire career. They just don't know anything about actually setting up a company. Right. How how you go about bringing a new idea to market. And how you raise capital? So we're on that side. We're, we're startup people. I'm a startup okay. investor. That's how I met Richard. Actually, we oh, invested okay, in the okay, same company. Okay. I think 15 years ago. Um, yeah. So so entrepreneurship through acquisition is much more, I think, popular with MBA grads who come out of out of their their graduate school, get a bank loan or some kind of private backing, and then go and acquire a company. Yeah, which is great and timely because there's a lot of people uh kind of baby boomers who want to get out of their businesses and maybe maybe yeah. set up for a reasonable price so i think that's why we're seeing a boom in that okay so you're basically helping so i mean but it's not so it's, so it's, it's i want to say startup for older people is it, is it basically older, more experienced people well <laughs> yeah i mean i would i would encourage young people to just go and start a business and and yeah. learn through failure i think failure is yeah. healthy in the right uh, done the right way but uh, i think when you're if you're 45 and it's your first startup if you do that for two years you, you raise some funding and you fail it's probably going to take you another two years to get your mojo back i, I failed before and that, that's what happened yeah. to me um and it's much more difficult the second time and i think if you're maybe 50 when you think about going again you probably think a lot harder about doing a second startup um so so we're we're not we're not venture capital. We're not looking for outliers, and we're definitely not looking for ninety percent of our portfolio to fail to be right. covered, so that uh, one of our other ones covers the the fund. We are we're actually the opposite. So we we're not worried about the outlier. We just don't want people to fail. Uh, so we're this. I think we'll we'll make money. I think our business model is is quite good, but um, at the same time, we have we would consider a ten million dollar exit extremely successful uh okay that would be that'd be like a, a 40x for us uh, for, okay um so these are small these are relatively sm smaller smaller uh and and then 
in terms of the, I mean, I guess what, and if it's a startup, it's actually nothing. Is the mechanics base? It's all the same. It's basically the mechanics, everything we know about how startups work. The mechanics are, yep. are pretty much the same. It's just your choice. It's really you're different. You're different in the sense that you're choosing. I guess you're choosing um, specific type, like it's a specific type of people, specific type of, uh, and then like, do you help them with? Do they have like how, how does it work? How do you find these? Like how do you get these? Do they just know about you and they come to you, or do you like how yeah. do you how do you meet these 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 future whatever business owners that are you know in their middle age basically? Yeah, so it's almost entirely by word of mouth, fortunately. So we don't have a marketing budget. Uh, we started off purely through referral. In fact, we just were telling people that we were thinking of doing this thing. And a few people said, I know someone you should talk to. And they became our first founders. Oh, no, nice. We very rapidly had to come up with the, the business structure. Well, I mean, just, um, just, jump, that, just, just, just jumping in, I mean, when you, because we know each other from, uh, very, and we didn't know each other well at all, but we just sort of were catching up. And, you know, I've said what you do is a problem for, decades you know you get these middle-aged people who are a bit vulnerable because they've got a couple of hundred thousand pounds because they work for Unilever and you know their kids are leaving, yeah. going off to university and leaving home and you know now's their big chance and there are so many people who'll take their money while they while they lose it all and someone who can help them establish whether their idea is a good one before they take the plunge is a really interesting I, didn't, I just wasn't aware of anyone else doing what you're doing no well I think it, I think there's two vulnerable parties in that equation you've got the the unilever person who doesn't want to be a build a startup but has got a friend and, and will invest 100 grand in that friend's company and that friend doesn't really know what they're doing and often they lose that money and that's a bad result for everyone including the friendship potentially um but i, I mean i imagine but i don't know about uh, if it's both of you but certainly you richard i'm sure you've met people who've invested a hundred thousand of their own money building a product that they really believe in and think is going to become a really highly successful startup and then realize the reality that that building a business is actually very difficult and it's much harder than just building the product that's in your head um, and therefore they lose their hundred thousand as well I know I know many people that have done that and uh, those were really the people that we were targeting when we started the business mm. and I know so many examples and one of the things is that luck is so important and if you don't verify your, well, I was just thinking, I know many people, there are different components of what you just said, James, in different contexts, but people who are experienced in business who are smarter than me, who know about everything, they have a great idea and it really seems to work, except they just don't get quite enough customers. So they get a few customers, but it never really takes off. And, you know, then there's someone who could get a good salary making yeah. 30k revenue a year. And that's, that's right. not, not good enough. Not good enough. No. So I, I think people overestimate the power of the idea and ultimately every business is about sales. Uh, I'm an LP in a small VC called Investigate in, in Singapore and the, the managing partner of that, the founder of that, says that the number one thing that he looks for when he's investing in a startup is not the technology, it's not the founder, it's it, is there sales here? Is there the ability to sell something? Because that's what business is all about. And I think people... In the startup world, lose sight of that a little bit. Like, what is success? Is it um, building a, a sexy product? Is it telling people telling you that they love your idea? Is it raising capital? Uh, and I think all of those things are not success. Success is getting real users, 
who will pay for your product and being able to consistently get more of them at a price that is less than those people bring you an income. Um, and I think a lot so of people how, how do you that. how do you solve the sales problem? Because I agree with you actually completely. Um, that whatever I, I'm not I'm not a hugely experienced startups, but I'm experienced with business, and uh, and uh, I, I do agree with you that it's it all starts with sales and sales. But actually, sales is also the biggest challenge, even with mature businesses. It ends up being now obviously mature businesses have some sales. So you're talking about <laughs> a startup which has no sales, you know, getting some, but still, how do you help? Because you know, <clears throat> obviously, one thing is to have a. I mean, if I was investing in a startup, you know, I definitely would want a founder who clearly has, you know, isn't not only passionate, but has the ability to communicate effectively uh, their product because that will be your number one salesperson for sure. Uh, that has to be your number one salesperson. Um, but, you know, how, how do you help and how do you like mitigate the risk, the, basically the risk that you've just identified, which is, which is like, cause it's hard. I mean, sales is flat out hard anyway. So yeah, so I would say that the the secret to startup success, if there is one, is to sell something before you build it. And and, it, and most people do the opposite. They build something and then go out and try and sell it and then realize no one wants it. But if you sell something before you build it, then you keep selling and people tell you they don't want it, they don't want it. And then finally you find something that, yes, I actually do want that. If you can If you can sell that thing to them, then you go away and build it and they buy it and then the next people buy it and... So it's, it is that simple, really, and that is the process. We're we're all about validation first before building the product. Oh, that's um, cool. That, yeah. that, I didn't. That that's that's a great idea. So how does that work? So I come to you. I'm 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 a good candidate. I'm in my fifties. I come to you. I've got an idea, and uh, what happened? Like I'm like, okay, I got this idea or this product or this service. I think this is going to be a great thing. And you know, would you invest in me? And then you tell me, okay, Kimon, now go out and find somebody that wants to buy this. I mean, is that and like I'm just out there. Like, or is that what happens? No, no. So, so we <laughs> not quite. So, so we we make our decision on who to work with pretty quickly. Yeah. And and I, honestly, I haven't distilled down what that involves. Other than it's based on my 15 years of angel investing and my partners doing the same. And so we collectively decide if we want to want to work with somebody or not. A lot of the time it's down to whether we think they'll be fun to work with and it will be enjoyable. Um, but there's also a lot of hidden elements there, psychology psychological elements that we haven't pinpointed. We just know, yes, we want this one, and no, we don't. And, and it's, it, to some extent, it's the idea, but le a lesser extent, because often we will transform the idea. So they might come to us with a B2C idea. Uh, I think consumers are going to love this thing. And then we're like, oh, I don't think that's going to work, but it could be quite a cool B2B thing if we did it like this. Um, but we leave that until a bit later. So, so basically, we, You don't burst their bubble right away. No, we don't. <laughs> uh, um, or we might we might allude to that when we're talking to them. Right. But but basically, we will make the decision to work with somebody, and that, at that point, our investment begins. Um, so because we're putting time into that person, uh, and then we start to work on their idea, and that will be validating the idea in lots of different ways. Um, but looking at what competition is out there, actually 
interrogating the idea and seeing how they got to it and why and why they think it's important and lots of lots of different techniques to do that but then as soon as possible then we identify who the first 10 customers are going to be and we go and talk to them and the founder talks to people and we talk to people and we start building a database from that first call Uh, and this is all pre-investment well we don't we're not a fund so we're not investing money we've raised money into our business and we've employed people to become co-founders in those companies for the first six months, six to 12 months. Um, and so, so we kind of work alongside the founder while they stay in their job. Importantly, that's, that's the, the key. There's a load of, load of companies out there who will, who will provide an accelerator or uh, a venture studio who will work with people who are full-time. But our whole our whole kind of secret source is that we we want our founders to stay in their job until we've created proof with them that this is a real okay. thing. Okay. And then we'll go and then we'll either have enough revenue by that point that they're like, okay, I can see the revenue, I can see it's building, I'm prepared to resign and come and run this thing. Or more often than not, we'll go and raise some capital for them. But you know, not a huge amount, maybe between a quarter and a half a million uh US to just to get some money into the tank. Uh, and then to and so that th- then they're not resigning and uh, taking all the risk. There is something that okay. proof money. They can pay themselves a small salary. The the idea has been de-risked. So this is pro bono. I mean, this is you just get, are taking a share of the business is what's happening, yeah, and so you're taking on the risk of all this work and not not quite all. Uh, so okay. we 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 take twenty percent of every business that we start. That's the agreement. Um, and we also ask our founders to contribute 20,000 US towards the startup cost. Okay, that makes uh, sense. That makes sense. Because obviously yeah. that, doesn't co- that doesn't cover your costs, but it's some kind of skin in the game type of uh, situation where you're just not. Exactly. Uh, okay. Exactly. Yeah, because if we didn't do that, I mean, we're, we're inundated with requests already, to be honest. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And, and um, in terms of numbers, how long have you been doing it, and how many how many people have actually sent the twenty k, and you've actually processed, and have you had any exits or success stories yet, or are you too young? Uh, I think we're too young for exits. Um, so we we incorporated in July twenty twenty, in the middle of COVID, um, but we didn't really do that much. I was still working, uh, and I think we really kicked off in June twenty twenty one. Uh, so we've really been going for two years, and we've uh, we're just on the in the process of signing our thirteenth and oh sorry twelfth and thirteenth company, and so we have eleven underway. Six of those have what we call graduated, and uh, which means that they're the the founders have quit their jobs and are running it, and they have revenue. Uh, one is profitable, and actually two are two more are close to profit. But you know, profit in a business is is a, a kind of um, and, uh, depends on how quickly you want to grow. You, 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 as soon as you're profitable, you hire someone else, and you're not profitable again. But they're they're kind of self sustaining. Let's put it that way. Uh, and I think four or five raised capital. Um, so so far, we've only had one which we would consider a semi failure, which was a founder who spent the twenty k but didn't resign. We didn't get enough proof for us all to feel comfortable. So our recommendation was that they stayed employed and they agreed. And we've decided to keep in touch, but um, uh, if his financial situation changes, we might come back to it. But we've all invested as much as we are prepared to invest. 
And at one level, it sounds actually amazing because if it's uh, 12 times 20K for a quarter of a million dollars, you know, you've got 10 or 11 sort of successful or potentially successful ventures. Right? On the other hand, you and your co-founder have invested two years of your life in this as well. So, so the, your investment is much more than just the money, right? Uh, yeah, but uh, so the, fa- the the founder puts the twenty k, but we we estimate our investment to be about fifty five k. So for our, so we we're, we're getting twenty percent for fifty five k, which is like a post money valuation of two hundred fifty k, which is pretty good for for an investor. Yeah, you know, by the time our startups are worth five million, we, one of our companies raised half a million at a five million valuation. So our fifty five k is now worth two million. Oh, sorry, one million. Yeah, on um, yeah, on paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so as a kind of investment thesis, it all makes sense. Um, but as a, as the founder, we're actually investing at a two a two hundred pre money in an idea because there's nothing there, which is I would say is pretty generous. So, we've been doing this now properly for two years, and some people think it's ridiculous. Younger people <laughs> think it's ridiculous. They're like, hang on a minute, you want you want twenty percent of my billion dollar idea, and you want me to pay for it? And they think <laughs> that we're crazy. But the, our target uh, audience, they generally go, hang on a minute, this is a complete no brainer. I'm I'm never going to do this unless someone helps me. Right. And so, and I can afford. Yeah, 20K. and it, and it really twenty k is not. It's a great. It is a great deal for. It is a good. I I I really like the idea, and uh, I, I mean, it's. I think it's. It actually is valuable for um, the world. Basically, I mean, I think you're helping. You're getting things out there. You're getting people. I just, I just see lots of positives in it. Actually, you're helping the 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 the, the guy or the, the the lady who's bored or just experienced in their job, and they want to do something else, and they have ideas. But but as you said, this you're taking out the risk, and you're giving business experience that you that you and your partners. Have as well, yeah, so I mean, it's it sounds like like I can I can totally see how that would be appealing for somebody like exactly like my age or whatever, like somebody who's like middle aged and and experienced and has some money and, and and as Richard said or you guys said at the beginning, I mean it's better to lose twenty k than it is to lose a hundred k or two hundred k, right? I mean exactly, yeah. <laughs> and your job, but more, but this all works, yeah. James, based on the idea that you and your co founders are competent, ethical, experienced. <laughs> people and I know obviously we've been doing business through the co-investment for a while and I know a bit about your background but I think that for anyone if someone's listening to this and they think what a great idea I'm going to copy them there are an awful lot of people out there in the world who might say they're doing what you're doing but don't actually have the skills so they take the money but don't give that much value and the shareholding but don't give that much value in return yeah. so and in order to, and, and, and imagine some cynical person listening to who the hell is james could you talk a bit about i think it's probably more to say about the adventures and maybe we'll talk through the process but just to address like the who the hell is james can you talk a bit about your pre-doing this entrepreneurial experience like what would, and the and particularly not just what you did, but how it set you up to feel that you had you're the right person to be doing what you're doing now. Like the experience, what those experiences gave you in terms of insights into business. I always kind of resisted corporate life from from you know when I was at university. I just couldn't see myself getting a job, and I ended up basically 
becoming the managing director of a small creative agency, a marketing agency in the UK, um, by sheer just saying that I would be the best person to do it. And, and luckily managed to get a small exit out of that, which got me, it taught me two things. One, the, the value of ownership. Uh, and two, that um, I enjoyed working for myself and being the boss. Um, so oh, I, how, how, how old were you when that happened? Uh, I, that was 2019. So I was, what was I in 2019? 20, 24. Are you sure? You got the numbers? Oh, no, sorry, no. Is that right? Oh, no, no, 2009. 2009. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, no. Yeah, so I wasn't 24, was I? I must have been... I was born in 1976. What was I? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been 33. Is that 33? I was, I was 33. 33. 33. Yeah, sorry. It's a mystery 10 years when you're in the Mossad and you're not telling us. There is a few gaps like that, yeah. But... So I took that money basically and started angel investing. And uh, over those years, I've set up, I think I've set up 10 different companies. Most of them never went anywhere. Um, some of them did and made some money. But I never, I've never had a big exit. But I've been part of companies that have done well. Um, and I've had some, ex I've had lots of exits, minor, minor exits. So I've, I've enjoyed the entrepreneurial journey without the kind of big headline exit. Um, but I've, I think out of the three of us, of the three of us founders of DQ, I am the most experienced at going from zero to one because I've done it loads of times. And I've, uh, and I've actually, what made me think that I'd be good at this is that when people came to me for advice, um, actually, I, I, lost uh, about $2 million of other people's money in my most tragic failure, um, which was the one that took me two years to recover from. And I found that after that, I became a much more valuable advisor because I'd felt the pain and sting of, of what it's like for it not to work. And I think advisors are much better when they tell you what not to do than when they tell you what to do. Uh, I think that's where the real value lies. So I'm the what not to do person. But I've got two two co-founders who've had very different startup careers. Arjun, uh, he's I think he's raised about half a billion dollars in total for various companies, um, much bigger companies, but hardware stuff like satellites. And he he was he was actually in one of the world's leading SMS companies uh, just when the iPhone was invented. So they were looked like they were destined for glory, and then uh, Steve Jobs crushed them. Uh, but then Oliver is the one who's had the headline success. So he started one company uh, and uh, sold it for 85 million. So he's he's got a kind of our pinup when it comes to talking to the founders. I think having someone who's sold who's had that kind of exit as a co-founder is is quite appealing to them. But uh, I think the three of us all we all worked on all of our, our companies and share the responsibilities, and we we all bring something different. Mm -hmm. And your big failure. Can you just talk? Can you tell us what can you tell us about that? Because you said you learned from failure. What what was it, and what what were the three biggest mistakes? I'm sure there were more than three, but what was the one really massive? Maybe what was the one biggest mistake? Yeah, the one biggest. Mistake. <laughs> well, I think my 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 co-founder and I disagreed on this, but but for me it was it was well, I mean, we raised 
840,000 Singapore dollars, which I think is about half a million US, just with the idea. And um, immediately hired people and started. And we believed our own hype. We thought we knew what we were doing. But we, I would say our biggest mistake was the fact that we, we did all of this stuff before we sold a single thing. Uh, we just, it was all based on how great an idea it was. We were going to disintermediate the recruitment industry by building a platform for temporary workers that would connect temps to people who needed temps um, and provide a rating, a bit like an Uber rating. Um, but what we didn't realize was that to the temps, we were just yet another recruitment agency who had a fancy app and uh, they didn't care whether whether they turned up for work or not because there's lots of other recruitment agencies they could get work with the next day. So we just couldn't couldn't solve that problem. And then, uh, so that's so two two problems there: believing our own hype and raising money, not trying to sell before we built something, and then also the biggest failure is not talking to enough people within the industry. Because when I've explained, yeah, because you could have found that right. You could have found out these exactly what you said, right? Temps are useless; they just don't. They're not going (laughs) to. Yeah, that, I think we would probably have said, oh, well, you know, our rating system will, will solve that <laughs> in, in our bravado. But actually, I mean, they uh, when when we failed and I talk, talked about it in hindsight, they're like, yeah, of course. <laughs> but why do you think they're a recruitment consultants? It's because these people don't turn up and we have to sort it out. Yeah, so funny. Yeah, well, funny in hindsight. It took me a long time to think it was funny. Yeah. And you mentioned it a few years to recover. I mean, I don't know. You can share as much or as little as you want to, but how did how did your dark days when that went wrong manifest themselves? Uh, massive lo- loss of confidence and self esteem. Uh, wondered if I really had any talent. That, that you know, was it all a dream? And did I have any capability at all? Mm. And then trying to get a job made that ten times worse because I I literally never had a job basically. And so my CV was not really appealing to the kind of jobs that I needed in order to have the salary that I needed to support my family in Singapore. So that that was, that was a pretty tough time. I I basically ended up just consulting and doing a patchwork of different jobs to, to pull together the money I needed. I think that's interesting, but it's sort of like another tangent and we don't have to go like totally down it, but I do think there's something to be said about this entangling yourself from your business that it's not you the business failure but it works both ways yeah also and it actually works much worse believe it or not with the success because people think they're awesome and incredible <laughs> when they have business it, it actually were like but it, like I, either both sides are wrong you're not your business <laughs> your, your business is, is is a separate thing now you just outlined whatever some mistakes but you know, obviously you took it, you know, you took it personally, like whatever the failure felt like a personal failure, even though it was just like a business, obviously you were integral and you were part of the decision-making process and it failed, but it actually is not you, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it's a, but, but I, I say that because I, I think it's really interesting because I, I really do think it works both ways. I think we see people who are like kicking themselves and when they shouldn't be. And then you have people who are just like, praising themselves when they shouldn't be either. I mean, and, and you must, yeah. you know, and that's something that's good advice for these people that you're bringing into, like, that's good advice for yeah. like, you know, whatever happens. Like <laughs> this is, this is just a business, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think it's possible to, to kind of think yourself out of the, the, the malaise and the, de- and the depression, if it was, if it's depression, but yeah. I, I think I know now that however bad the failure feels at the time, it, 
it ends up healing. Um, yes. <laughs> and I also uh, there's a there's a golfer called Tony Finau. And yeah, I know he, him. I know him. I'm not a huge golf fan, but I like him. I like him. Yeah, he's a nice guy. But he says a win a winner is just a loser who never gave up. And I yes. totally agree with that. <laughs> totally, totally agree with that. Totally, totally agree with that. <laughs> So and, I have a question, and, and, Richard. I have one question about uh, just James. How does your? Because I'm, I'm really curious. How does your day to day? So, like, what do you guys do with these companies on a day to day basis? So, so I act like the co-founder of multiple com- companies, which is the best job in the world. Um, yeah. So, doing doing whatever needs to be done. So, I'm right. I'm talk- I'm literally talking to users, uh, conducting user interviews. I'm selling. I'm building partnerships. I'm raising money. Um, but I'm also working on DQ Ventures, so we're we're trying to industrialize our process, and uh, so we've built our own uh, portal to to create modules that we take our founders through, rather than just mm-hmm. doing it from the hip. Um, we only have one employee, and she's an exited founder as well. So we're we like the four musketeers, really. Um, okay. All dividing the work, and, and actually, I think partly it's we divide it by what we're good at, but also. We were all in Singapore when we started this, so our company mm. is a Singapore entity. But now we're in Stockholm, Sydney, and Delhi, uh, and, mm. and Bangkok. So we are all over the place. So we tend to try to front the the companies that are closest to us. Okay, uh, so yeah, that makes sense. We've got people everywhere. We've got several in Australia, Southeast Asia, Portugal, UK, Seattle. Um, we're everywhere. So. It, so when, it pays what, to be spread. What happens with like? Uh, do you have any? <laughs> do you have any situation where like one of you? I'm just thinking about myself here. Is lazier than the others, <laughs> or or is not like? How do you measure the like? How do how do you like measure the contribution? Or how do you even deal with that? Like 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 is it you guys just know each other? You guys are tight and like you just wouldn't do that to each other type of like setup? Or is there any kind of like like because it is sort of like you're dependent on the other guys to be pitching pulling their weight as much as you're because it sounds like you're just working basically like normal like as you said whatever has to be done you're doing um are does everybody do that equally or does that is that ever become an issue that like one guy just doesn't want like i'm the idea guy i just want to do not really (laughs) i would say that we contribute in very different ways and we're much more value focused than we are and what are you doing yeah Uh, we're talking about what are you doing um so uh, we're we're all friends basically. We I think we're really yeah. good friends, and so that helps. That helps, and also the fact that it's great fun, and I think we've all done reasonably well in our lives. Not Ollie's done the best, but we've, we've all done okay. And and so I think we're doing this partly because it's what we want to do, rather than it's what we have to do. And so if someone wants to you know work, work twenty four hours, then fine, but don't expect me to. Okay. And uh, I'm going to go and play golf tomorrow, literally tomorrow. And, uh, <laughs> the other guys don't know, but they don't, they don't care either. <laughs> they know, they know now. <laughs> they know now, yeah. Well, they know, they know that you did. They'll know that you did. It's a point yeah. in the future. Um, and, and what about the workload with your founders? I mean, do you ever get the founders trying to offload things onto you that you think they should be doing? And I, I obviously. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, I mean, it was a mistake I made many years ago. One of the mistakes was imagining that I could be the leader and just offload all the work onto other people, and I would just sit there quite leading. But um, it's not a bad mindset in some ways because it takes you out of the process. But 
early on, the leader has to get their hands dirty, don't they, as well? They definitely do. And so so that has happened a bit, but generally, the, I think the, the, what helps in our business is that we are working on our founders' ideas, not our ideas. And I know venture studios often have ideas and then bring in a founder. Um, but so, so we're not the ones who have the burning passion to get this thing done. Uh, so generally, those our founders want to do the work. Well, and they've spent and, twenty thousand. I'm sorry, that helps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, it's it's going to keep them a bit more focused. But I think they're focused anyway. Um, but the uh, everyone has a different workload. Some some people are cruising through life in, a, in an amazing job. You can't believe that they get paid to do. And some of them work crazy hours and are like an emotional mess because of how hard it is and how much they have to work. But, but we're, we say to them, we're not in any rush. Yes, we have investors who want to make a return and we want to make a return, but we also want to enjoy our lives and we want we want to be the good guys of the kind of whole venture world. So if it takes two years, it takes two years, then so be it. But, but we're not going to just go and do all the work and then say, it's ready, because <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be a terrible founder. They won't know. They won't know the problem. Yeah. They won't have talked to the users, and it just won't work. And um, well, thank you for that. That's very interesting. And going back a bit, when you you mentioned that you were a bit nonconformist, and when you were a kid, a teenager, did your did everyone? Did you know you were going to be in business? Would you be surprised? Because I'm, 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 I'm always interested in how people got there. Because in my case, I can't quite figure it out. Um, but in your case, would your family be surprised you do what you do now? Um, I, I think that. Well, I think they don't know what I do. To be honest, no matter how many times I tell them, I think it's just, it just doesn't fit into any box. But. I definitely wasn't the business guy. My grandfather was was managing director of a business called Crown Paints, which is well known in the UK. Um, and he, I think it, it, you know, from his stories when he was alive, I think he was a great leader, a great businessman, a very selfless man. Um, and I and my, I have a twin brother. My twin was always that. He was always destined for that. Um, uh, he's actually just been made CEO of a, of a, a yacht company called Princess Yachts. But that, that was easy to see happening. He's kind of on that path. Whereas I was, I always wanted to be artistic and creative. I wanted to write strap lines for for um, advertising campaigns and that sort of thing. And so I never thought I'd go into business. But but I've, what I've realised is that startups are the ultimate form of creativity. Uh, and being able to work on multiple startups is like the dream job for me because constantly thinking of new ways of doing things and how do we innovate this and how do we change this idea to make it work better so i feel very lucky to to have found that um and it definitely wasn't a, a clear path i messed around for years doing weird jobs that uh, i don't think really helped that much but certainly the advertising job that i got into early on i got i i it was like an mba i had no idea how to run a company and i got a, a 65 year old mentor who, who ran Nortel Networks in the UK, and he he was a, a very tough man, and he taught me the hard way how business works, and so that really helped. But yeah, other than that, it was an entire surprise. You touched on something that I think is really important that we don't talk about much, Richard, here on the podcast. Uh, 
but it actually is significantly impacted my life as well. And, and I think it, I think it, it's something that people can should look for um, in their professional career, and that's finding mentors, um, finding people who can. Uh, and we were joking before about like mentoring your son, but I mean like uh, I mean I'm not talking about like a, a one-off hour conversation. I'm talking about what I, I what I'm suspecting that James is referring to is somebody that you worked closely with for a long period of time that you could like go through all the. And you just learn the hardcore uh, way things work. And I actually was fortunate enough to have a couple of those um, running the company. I mean, I'm not sure if you were running that. I'm not sure if you were when you had this guy, the, the North, was it Nortel? Yeah. Yeah. When you had this guy, were you, was that when you were the managing director? Yes, yeah. exactly. And that's the most important time because you're all by yourself and yeah. like, who the hell is going to, so like, I mean, I, I, I really can't emphasize enough how that is the most valuable thing. And the, the older guy, and it's the old, it, it, I also think it's the old school guys. Like we go, we're all so attracted to young and pretty and, and all that stuff when it comes to tech and like the, the latest whatever buzzwords and stuff like that. And there's huge value and it's, you have to know about that stuff as well. I'm not saying that that's not important, but I do think that the, how things work, how things really work uh, it, it, and ultimately it'll, it'll come down to people and how do you deal with different people in different situations uh, is so valuable. So that I, I just wanted to shout that out because I do think that the, the mentorship, finding mentors, finding somebody that you can learn from and you know, older people, they want to help. I mean, too, it's like, it works both ways. I mean, we actually had a guy on here that was connecting people, right? Wasn't that, wasn't one of the guests connecting mentors Mentor, and- uh, Mentor, mentor desk, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or chips, it, or it, chips it, Jonathan, yeah. 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 It's valuable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think, I, you know, I didn't know how management accounts worked or what a balance sheet was. <laughs> I didn't know any of that stuff. Yeah, and, of course. I mean, we we have that a bit now with with some of our founders. Yeah. I mean, most of them have run a PL if they're senior in business, but many yeah. of them, many of them don't really know. They don't know what they don't know, and so I think even when our founders have graduated, I, I know because I've been interviewing them to find out where the value lies, yeah. and that's one of the key things is is just helping them know when they're when when they're their own worst enemy and they just don't know what they don't know. Well, yeah, and there's so many things that are like for us are so obvious because we've been through it and we've done it. And as we tasted the pain, as you said, we, I mean, yeah. you, you're going to remember really well when you felt the pain of something that you you screwed up, and so and just giving that as a nugget to somebody so that they can avoid it, super valuable. I mean, like it's like super valuable. And, and, and also the things like how the hell would you learn? For example, dealing with the bank and investors. If you work for McKinsey and you're a really top consultant, you're not going to be dealing with the bank. You know, at all, no. it's just not, uh, and you're not going to be dealing with investors. I don't think McKinsey is listed, but but the but just you know, understanding that bankers are people, and your relationship with your bank is pretty bloody important if you're a normal yeah. business, and they have to like you and trust you, and, and you know how even the idea that it's more than a website where you log in if you're a company, and it may may just be that if you're cash in advance in some you know B two C business, but for anyone doing B two B. Your banking, it's just one example, but there are hundreds and hundreds of things you don't, you just, how would you learn how to do that and how to manage it? And it's not just common yeah. sense. No, a lot of it is common sense, but there's definitely, I think it, most people can do it pretty quickly when you show them that it even needs to be done. But it's, it's not even knowing that it needs to be done is often the way, is often the, the hard part. Um, well, I'll tell you where yeah. you're not going to learn it. You're not going to learn it at school. <laughs> That's where you're not going to learn it. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was just thinking as, as well as mentors, it's also 
learning. I mean, there's one uh, she's helped with the podcast with Magda. She was a 16 year old schoolgirl when she first bumped, her, bumped into her at some event in Krakow. Just seeing over the last six years how, and it's not like we have a call every month, but you know, some it, it, I in many ways get more like personal satisfaction of seeing people who I know that I've helped them along the way. And yeah, it's their life, their success. But sometimes, you know, that little sense of, you know, just someone with a different perspective, you know, and, and also not the mentor not always believing they're right as well. The mentor says, well, for me, it was like this, but you have to figure this out, the way you manage people or, or whatever it is, right? Uh, yeah, and I also think with, with advice, advice is a strange thing, but I, I found this when I when I'd shut my startup down, I was trying to work out how to make money. I was giving a lot of advice and there were definitely times where I would meet somebody and and say, oh, why are you doing it this way? Why don't you do it this way? And it, it could be like a 15-minute cup of coffee. And the next time I see them, they say, you know what, you were right. We're doing it this way now. It's working much better. And I made no money and I really needed money at that time. And I was thinking, I've, made, I've actually added a lot of value to that business, maybe even saved them from total disaster. And yet I didn't get anything for it. And that was actually part of the, the, the what led to DQ Ventures because we were like, there's, a, there's so much value in these nuggets. How do you create a, a structure where you can continue to, to find people who have these nuggets and help people who need those nuggets and it's a commercially viable business? That's a very interesting segue. And in fact, could you could you just talk us through? Like that was part of the insight into setting it up. But was there like a moment when suddenly you and your co-founders thought, "Wow, this is a big opportunity." The sort of "Don't Quit Ventures" concept. Uh, can you remember how you suddenly thought, "Wow, this is this could be a thing"? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was fueled by a few ales, and it was myself and Arjun. We we came up with the idea originally, and then we brought Oliver in before we started. Um, but we, I think one of us had um, been, we'd been, i oh, sorry, I know what, exactly what it was. I'd invested in a, in a startup and and had an exit. And and yet again, the exit came from an older founder, an experienced person who had set up a business in something that they knew really well. And it just always felt like a no-brainer and they just grew it and sold it and everyone made money. And I was saying that to Arjun, um, and and he had just come from a meeting with a, a, a senior professional, very similar to the founder that I had invested in. And that senior professional had said, oh, I can't stand the idea of another 20 years of corporate life. I'm going to go and do a startup. And Arjun had said to him, don't, I mean, that's how DQ got its name. He's like, don't quit your job. This is crazy at your age. It's such a risk. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know all the things you don't know you like your business class flights etc cetera, etc cetera. <laughs> and then we and then i said it's weird though isn't it because they're the people we really want to be investing in and then that's that's how the germ got started mm-hmm. and then we quickly realized that uh, the two with the two of us we'd had co-founders before and we wanted a third and then we found oliver who mm-hmm. we actually didn't know he'd want to do it because he's had his big exit but um i think he'd spent four years on the golf course and was desperate for something to be interested in again and he, he loved the idea luckily so he, he joined we, we need to wrap this up in a moment but i just one thing you've created quite a lot of content i think on your linkedin or elsewhere and you said to begin with as word of mouth and can you just describe a little bit about 
how you systematize getting the word out about what you do and are you you're not spending any money on marketing is that right you're not like you're not targeting people with your LinkedIn content. So how, no. can you just talk us through that? How, you, how much content you're creating? How often? When do you start? What works? So I would say it's probably half of the job that I do personally. The other guys are much more focused on the founders and, our, and the program of work that we put together to take those founders through. Um, Arjun is also working on the post-graduation support so identifying key metrics for our startups to hold themselves accountable, make sure we have regular catch-ups, a bit like investors, but uh, board meetings, but a little bit more intimate. Um, whereas my job is bringing the founders in. So about, I mean, the truth is about just over a year ago, I saw people writing stuff on LinkedIn and getting a lot of followers. And I thought I could do that. And what we do is quite interesting and also, also one of the pillars of our business is to help people not to fail. So whether they are a founder who is part of our program or not, I'm, I'm happy to have a call with somebody and give them some advice if it might help them not make a mistake or not fail in their business. So writing the learnings that we make all the time on LinkedIn is pretty easy and and people value it. They, they like the openness and transparency. So I started doing that, and I think I had 3,000 LinkedIn followers a year ago, and now I've got 19,000 just by sharing the stuff that we're learning and that, that we've learned in the past. And that generally ha seems to drive quite a few inquiries to our, our website. So it's pretty straightforward. Lucky, we're very lucky to have that because I think most businesses would kill for that kind of free pipeline of, of leads. But that that is that's where a lot of it comes from and then we have we have a lot of founders now that we work with and they they like us so they refer people in um and we're, we're trying to build that network as well good is there anything we haven't asked that you'd like to that you think is important about what you're doing that you haven't shared yet um yeah i think i mean i think so i think like the final shot in your notes you said is there a is there a final thing that you would want to to say to people um and i gave that some thought so so i reckon my my advice if i had to give it to a, a large audience would be first of all be kind um i think i mean i'm a naturally kind person so it's easy it's easy for me but i i think it's pretty easy to to proactively show kindness um and on the on the flip side don't fall out with people and there have been times in my life where I was very close to falling out with people, but I'm very good friends with those people now still. And I'm very lucky, very happy that in retrospect, I didn't say the thing that I wanted to say or whatever it was. Um, so I'd say don't, don't fall out with people. There, there, and there is and an extension of that is a, a Nassim Taleb um, quote, or, or not really a quote, but paraphrasing him. This, he calls it the silver rule. So, you know, the, the golden rule is do unto others what you would want them to do to you. But uh, Taleb says that the silver rule is don't do unto others what you would not want them to do to you. And he said that's far more important. And I, I, I get that. I think that's that's very true. Uh, uh, and then just looping back to the, the failure and success thing. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to refresh my memory on this. But on the failure side, we said no matter how bad it feels, it will get better. And on the success side, I would say that 
there's two things. First of all, I've witnessed a lot of success and had some success, and it doesn't feel as as good or as final as you think it will. And it comes with some negatives. Like I know Oliver, for example, after his big exit, he was very reluctant to do another thing because he was he was like the king of the world. He had this huge exit, and that's what people knew of him. It's all risk from there. You go and start another business and it fails, and you're not invincible anymore. Um, but yeah, the last thing was the, the Val quote, which he said, um, "Yeah, success won't make you happy, healthy, or loved, but being happy, healthy, or loved is happiness. is is success." And uh, I, I think I feel like I'm able to take risks in my life and career because I'd be happy no matter what I did and how successful I am. And I think that's my superpower. I think I, I am healthy, luckily, and I'm loved, and I'm, I'm definitely happy. And um, I, I feel like that's not going to change no matter what the outcome of my business is, which is a good position to be in. We always say we don't want life coaches on our, on our uh, um, podcast, and you've just it's just that sounds so like it. But what no, you're but I, I love it. I think it's, no, so, it's true. Yeah. It's true. The thing is, you're saying it not. You're not a life coach. And it's <laughs> yeah. true. But sometimes life coaches say that without the other stuff. No, I think it was really, it's really, really powerful. And thank you. We will obviously, to the extent there are links, we can share back to the original content. We'll put those in the notes that go out with this, so people can find okay. them more easily. Maybe you can help us with that, Jim. But, but no, I think it's a great, a great way to. I wasn't being negative about you. I think it's really, it's a really, really powerful thing. So thank you for that. Keeman, um, do you want to do the honours and wrap this up? Because I've really enjoyed the talk, but I, I think Keeman's a good closer, so I'll let Keeman close. Well, I, I think the, I, I think the way I mean, I actually basically James closed it. I mean, I, I don't think it could you could ever close it better than that. Uh, I, I mean, I would just summarize that to say that there, there are things more important. I was sort of trying to say that as well with not being entangled with your business it's kind of a similar thing i was trying to say actually which is like that you're like there, there's more important things out there than just whether this stupid thing that you're doing is successful or not and then yeah. all this measurement of uh, how your friend made all this money I, I, I thought that was humorous because it's like it's some of it is just kind of random i'm not trying to diminish any success or anything like that but it's just like you know and the other th reflection I had when you were saying that was, and I don't know if you have this with you agree, but the, the, the success is never going to be as good as the failure is bad. Do you know what I mean? The failure is always like feels like, I think it's the, like you're never going to feel as great from that great success as, as you will feel badly from some, I, I think to some extent that, that that for some reason that, I don't know if it's, if you agree with that or not, but that stays in the, our site yeah i think that's known i mean it, they always yeah. say that losing money you know like trading stocks losing yeah. money feels 10 times worse than making <laughs> yeah, then, it, money. It, exactly yeah. so but anyway yeah it's been it's been a pleasure uh i learned a lot uh I personally i this was valuable for me personally I, i'm always thinking about what i'm going to do next and you know do you gave me giving me some ideas um yeah so thank you for your time and uh, right. thanks to everybody for listening and uh, for everybody who puts this together uh, and does all the work behind the scenes to get this podcast out and make it sound good. Thank you as well. And uh, have a nice day, everybody. Thanks, guys.